This morning we're going to explore the image of the Good Shepherd, and so uh, what I'd like you to do is to turn around to the people next to you and think about, talk about, uh, when you hear the words Good Shepherd, or Christ the Good Shepherd, what comes to mind? What are the words, what are the images, what are the feelings that come to mind with that Christ the Good Shepherd? Just spend a minute or two talking to your neighbour about that. for you to chat to your neighbour, so we'll keep this one a bit short. Uh, so what were some of the things you talked about? We are his sheep. We are his sheep? So how does that make you feel? Wonderful. Wonderful, right. Any others? Caring, guiding person. Yep. We are cared for and we are guided. We are his sheep. A good example. Yep. Security. Security. It's a good word. Gathering. Gathering. Yes. Nurtured. Now, all of those good words, uh, so I don't want to disagree with any of them, but they easily slide into cheesiness. So what do I mean by that? Well, this picture here, this is a really, in the end, quite a cheesy picture of Christ the Good Shepherd. And uh, it's one of the good ones, really. Josie and I did some searching on the internet for images we could use in the pew sheet. And uh, she found some good ones, and I vetoed hers because they were all too cheesy. So here's a lovely one. The trouble with them is we end up with this soft and cuddly Jesus who we want to cuddle into. And uh, who's super nice to everyone and has deep penetrating eyes and just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But I'm not entirely sure how that stacks up to the reality of what Jesus was on about uh, or what shepherds were on about really. And the ultimate of the, of the, so this is another great cheesy picture. And if you go on the internet, these are the ones you, you find. You really have to hunt hard to get beyond the cheesy Jesus. And this is the ultimate cheesy Jesus. Uh, which is luckily a parody, but not far off how lots of people see Jesus. So this was actually created for a film called Dogma. And I assume most of you have not seen this film. It's only the warped that would want to watch a movie like this. And uh, 
So this was when the Cardinal wanted, clearly I have seen it, the Cardinal uh, wanted to revamp the image of Jesus from being, thought it was too stern, all this hell and damnation stuff. And so the buddy Christ was created. So this is the buddy Christ who is your friend. But in fact, Jesus the Good Shepherd often, particularly in art, isn't far off this image. Well, I wonder how that stacks up to what shepherds were like either today or in Jesus' time. So this is a, an image of a shepherd in, Jesus, in, uh, in Africa. And this isn't such a kind of cheesy image. It's not quite such a warm, fuzzy image. And this is what a shepherd looks like today in New Zealand. And the last thing we would call shepherds in New Zealand would be um, kind of soft and cuddly uh, or cheesy. Um, they're, they're often portrayed as good blokes who, uh, if you can string three words together, are doing well. Uh, so those three words would be, good on you, mate. That's four words, so they did really well. Uh, and uh, often only one syllable on those words. Uh, or, here's a beer, and they would drink spates or Waikato. go back and, and stop there. And shepherds in Jesus' time wouldn't have been much different from that. Shepherds in Jesus' time were people who uh, spent the summer with their flocks, slept out in the rough with them, protected them, uh, fought off thieves and predators. Uh, so weren't the kind of people you'd want to snuggle up to really, uh, partly because they didn't wash all that often. Uh, and they were, they were reasonably... They were good blokes, but they were hard blokes, and they had a hard job. And so when Jesus is described as a good shepherd, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, a hard bloke who protects his flock. And the interesting thing about that, oh, well, we'll get back to that. And the metaphor about a good shepherd was also applied regularly to um, kings and rulers, uh, for the same reason, that they were people who would protect their flock, their flock being uh, the people in their realm. And uh, they would protect them from invading armies, and they would uphold the law, so they would protect their people from uh, thieves, etc., etc. Now, in both of those examples, the good shepherd in the field and the good shepherd in, uh, who was the king or the ruler... It paid for the sheep and for the people to stick with their shepherd, no matter how good or bad they were. Particularly for sheep, if you strayed away from your shepherd, there was a good chance that you would end up either on, a, on somebody else's fire being cooked or being eaten by a predator. So life beyond the flock was not easy. Well, it was short, really. And life beyond the realm of a, of a king was also often short. Because there were marauding bands around the place. And if you kind of drifted out from the protection of your ruler, then you were then at the mercy of those marauding bands. And so people tended to stick with their rulers. And when they didn't stick with their rulers, well, as we saw with the uprising of the Jews against the Romans, it generally didn't go so well. So no matter how good or bad your shepherd was, you would stick with them. Now the other side about having a shepherd was the shepherd didn't look after his flock as Paula reminds us in her article in the, in the parish web. 
The shepherd did not look after his flock for nothing. He didn't do it out of the goodness of his heart. He did it because his flock would provide him income. Through the wool, through the meat, after he'd killed the sheep and sold it, uh, or by selling a sheep for a sacrifice at the altar in the, in the temple. So it wasn't a one-way relationship, it was a two-way relationship. And it was exactly the same for the people with their king. The king protected his people because his people provided taxes and food and other resources that he, the king, needed to maintain his lifestyle. And so, again, this kind of darker side of the Good Shepherd needs to be held with uh, our image of the Good Shepherd. So the cheesy image then kind of starts to slide away. And this is a darker image that comes out of our cultural context of the Good Shepherd. And it's still as strong and it's still secure. There's an element of security in there, but it's not as cheesy. It's not as hard, to, it's not as easy to snuggle up next to this shepherd. It's quite an apt image, really, given all the rain we've had over the last couple of days. Now, Paula reminded us that, uh, that this image of good shepherd is also applied to God, and it was a common image that was applied to God. Uh, but it has this flip side to it, that just as the shepherd and just as the ruler, the shepherd wanted a payback, what is the payback with God? What is it uh, that, that's at stake here? The image suddenly isn't quite so cute. It's not so cuddly. Um, there's a darker side to it. Now, another problem with our um, cheesy Jesus and uh, security being in the flock is that we think the purpose of church is, too often, is to get more people to be a member of the flock. And so the more that are in our flock, they will be safe and secure, and we do that too often. Um, this is just a generalisation, not speaking about this particular church in particular. But Christianity too often has sold a cheesy Jesus uh, to get people to join our flock. And the purpose of church has become to grow the church, and we do it by selling a commodity a cheesy Jesus, or the buddy Christ. Like that image and dogma, although it was a parody, was not far from the truth. And we sell the fact that if you come and join church, you will then uh, meet a Jesus who will keep you safe, and who will meet you need, your needs, and life will be blessed, and it will be good. Uh, and so, Jesus the Good Shepherd becomes one of the ways we encourage people to join our church. Well, I wonder if that's really what church is about. If we read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time talking about church and doesn't ever talk about growing a church. And uh, he doesn't often talk about life being nice and safe. Not even in today's reading, really. Uh, his main image, one of the things he said was, pick up your cross and follow me. And so I wonder how accurate an image of Jesus 
and an understanding of what we are as church, um, the cheesy Jesus, the cheesy Good Shepherd, has led us to. And I want to spend a couple of minutes just looking at this morning's Gospel reading. Now, on this morning's Gospel reading, the Judean elite, which was translated as the Jews, but it didn't refer to the Jews in particular, uh, in general, it, it really did refer to the Judean elite, the people who ruled in Jerusalem. And they have confronted Jesus and they have said, we want you to tell you, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And um, they actually are pretty lucky. Jesus uh, doesn't do his normal slide out, which is uh, either to tell a story or to ask a question. He does give them an answer, but it's not quite the answer they're anticipating. He doesn't say yes or no. He says, I have told you my actions testify to me, but you do not believe. And then he says, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Now at that point, it would be very easy to think that Jesus is setting up a boundary of those who are in the flock and those who are out of the flock. And that would have been language that Judean elite would have understood because they lived in a world of who was in and who was out. And they were the keepers of who was in their world. They made the decisions. So when Jesus says to them, you are not part of my flock, that's a direct challenge to their authority to decide who's in and who's out. But then he redefines the who's in and who's out. He says, those that hear my voice are part of my flock. Now we normally understand that to be... If you are part of the flock, if you are part of the, the church, you are able to hear Jesus' voice and follow him. But actually, Jesus doesn't say it that way round. He says, those who hear my voice are part of my flock. Which means, in my thinking, the boundaries are pretty porous. There aren't fixed boundaries of these are the people that can hear my voice. It's anyone who hears my voice is in. Anyone. Not just the group that you define with your little boundary, but anyone who hears my voice is in. The key word in this passage is hear. Those who hear. Well, that raises a really interesting question for me. What does it mean to hear? How do we hear Jesus, the Good Shepherd's voice? We're all here this morning, so I'm going to assume that we all hear Jesus' voice. So, here's the next opportunity for you to turn and talk to your neighbour. How do you hear Jesus' voice? What do you do to hear Jesus' voice? What are the times you hear Jesus' voice? What are the practices you have developed to hear Jesus' voice? I'm going to turn around and talk to your neighbour for a minute or two about that.
Alright. So what kind of things did you talk about? How do we hear? Don't be bashful. Well, it's our belief in him and it's been instilled in us because of our belief. Because we've been nurtured and brought up to believe in him. Right. And we follow him. Okay, so how do you hear to follow? You do it through reading, reading the Gospels and understanding them. Right. You do it through helping other, doing things for other people without, and you get, and you do it through giving thanks for often little things that happen. And I just say, oh, I'm sick of Thank you, Lord. Okay. So there's the reading of the Gospels and the giving thanks. I'm going to uh, just pause for the helping people because I'm going to make a comment about that in a minute. How else do we hear? When we pray. Alright. So what does prayer mean for you? Prayer is to me is talking to God. Talking to God? And if I don't do all the talking and I'm listening, <laughs> I can get more back. Right. That's an important thing. So when we don't do all the talking and listen, then we go, get more back. Um, don't go for a walk and uh, just get everything out. Going for a walk is a place that you can just get rid of everything else and focus. Yeah. 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 I don't really know whether I get any response when I talk to God. I don't know whether, and when I say my prayers, I don't know whether it's God talking or Jesus talking or it's my own thoughts. I'm not sure. So I don't know how I will get to the Okay. It's a, and that's a, I hear that a lot from people who come and see me for spiritual direction, that um, is, it, is it God's voice or is it, is it my voice? And that's a, a question for all of us, really. And so sometimes, uh, I guess my response to that, well, I'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, anything else? Yep. Uh, we hear all the things that have, we've heard in the past as well as what we hear now. So we've heard Jesus speak through others, uh, through reading, study, preaching, experience. So that's all part of us. So we can hear things now that we have heard or learnt or been part of in the past and bring those to mind when we need them. So hearing is it's quite a big thing. Um, it involves prayer, that's a really important part of it, uh, but it also involves uh, uh, all the things that Bonnie's just talked about, um, and an important part of prayer is reading the Bible, particularly the Gospels, uh, and an important part of prayer is listening. In fact, prayer is mostly listening, being still. One of the people said this morning, um, Hearing is when we are still uh, and when there's no words at all. And um, I think one of the things, one of the results of prayer is that a lot of the time we're not sure whether, the, whether what we're hearing is our thoughts or God's thoughts or, or what. Although when we read the Gospels we can be reasonably confident with that. But the fruit of our prayer is when it starts to change us.
when we change not just our thinking, but the way that we see the world and, the, and how we behave in the world. And I think that's the real result of prayer. When we, that's the real result of when we hear God. Now one of the things that I've talked a lot about lately has been, over the last year, has been missional, which isn't the same as mission, well it can be, but mission is often understood to be about getting people to come to church. And missional is about joining God in God's mission in the world, which may result in people coming to church, but it's not the purpose. The purpose is joining the crucified and risen Christ in the ongoing work of bringing life and hope and peace and love into this world. That's what being missional is, joining God in God's mission. And as a parish, we've talked about being incarnational, which means when we are so shaped by hearing God's voice, when we are so shaped by the gospel that we simply live it out in our local communities and point others to the reality of God's action in the world. Now all of that comes out of hearing. If we read the lives of the great saints and the small saints, it seems to be there's always this two-pronged thing going on in their lives, which some people see as attention, but I actually think it's one and the same thing. They spend a lot of time in prayer. It is a, a if not the, priority. So if you look at the life of St. Francis, for, for example, he would go away on retreat for months and he would take one other brother who would act as mother for him and make sure that he had everything that he needed to survive, which wasn't a lot. But his prayer life always, always led him to live out the fruits of that in the world. So he's not known for being a great prayer, although that's what he was. He's known for the way that he lived in the community. That he lived amongst the poorest and he lived amongst the wealthiest and most powerful. He's remembered for who he was back in the world. And that's, I think, at the heart of what's going on here. That when we hear, when we take the time to hear and to be shaped by what we hear, then we become a missional, incarnational people. Now, an example of this can be seen in the psalm that we sang. Some of you might be a little perturbed that we didn't say Psalm 23, but we sang it, so it seemed a little um, repetitive to say it together and then sing it a couple of minutes later, so we just sang it. And uh, one of the, the opening line of that is, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack, can I lack nothing? which is very similar to one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Now we often interpret that to mean that God will meet all our needs and it can be easily part of the cheesy Jesus image, that once you're part of Jesus' flock, all your needs will be met and you will live a blessed life. But actually there's a flip side to both of those, that God provides all we need Therefore, we should want nothing else and simply be satisfied with all that God offers. Give us today our daily bread means the bread we have is enough and we shouldn't want any more. Now, Walter Brueggemann, who is uh, one of the preeminent 
Old Testament scholars of today uh, puts it this way. I shall not have any other yearnings or desires that fall outside the gifts of God. What gives us will be enough for me. This is a statement of enormous confidence in the generosity of God, the one who knows what we need and gives well beyond all that we can ask or think. But notice at the same time that this phrase, I shall not want, is a decision made against the greed and lust and satiation and aggressive ambition of a consumer society. Our consumer society is driven by the notion that we must always want one more thing, and we are entitled to it, and we will have it, no matter what. To truly have Christ as our Good Shepherd is not about joining in a group who are kept safe and comforted by a cheesy, warm and fuzzy Jesus. To follow Christ the Good Shepherd means that we need to take time to hear his voice, to know it, to follow it, to have our imagination and our worldview shaped by it. And if we do that, then that should call into question our every want and desire. And if we truly do that, we should be ready for the gentle poke that pushes us out of our safe place, pushes us into the world in which Christ the Good Shepherd is at work, bringing hope, life, peace and love, redeeming, recreating, resurrecting this world, bringing it from death to life, and knowing that our true needs are found in joining this work and in nothing else. So I wonder what you think of all of that. I invite you to turn around and talk to your neighbour for a moment or two about what you will take out of this morning's sermon. I'm not going to ask for any responses. I'm not that bold.